from Red Hook in the heart of the Hudson Valley, this is Radio Rotary. Hi, this is Jonah Trebowasser. Welcome back to another edition of Radio Rotary. Each week we chat with your neighbors about great things happening in your community and around the world. People sharing ways to improve your life. And today we are coming to you from the Apple a Day Diner and the meeting of the Red Hook Rotary Club. Our guest today is Red Hook Rotarian Dr. Abraham Nussbaum, and we'll be talking about your children's and grandchildren's health. Abe Nussbaum, good morning, and welcome to Radio Rotary. Good morning, Jonah. So, Abe, uh, being a Rotarian, you know that uh, one of the major initiatives of uh, Rotary International and Red Hook Rotary Club is the worldwide fight to eradicate polio. Where are we on that, and uh, what's the prognosis for eliminating polio from the world completely? As I understand, smallpox has been eliminated. That's right, Jonah. Smallpox has been eliminated because smallpox does not have any wild reservoirs. It can only be transmitted person to person. Polio is much more complex than that because it not only can be transmitted person to person, but it can also be uh, le- found in the environment, uh, especially around sewer systems. And as you know, in much of the world, sewer systems are not isolated and are not particularly well done. So the fight for polio, against polio has moved along quite smartly, uh, with the exception of Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Nigeria, which remain the only places in the world that polio has never been stopped. That is, the transmission of wild polio has never been interrupted in those areas. Let me interrupt one second, Abe. You know, uh, those of us in America are a little bit surprised that uh, polio still exists around the world because we remember that in the mid-1950s, through the miracle of the Salk and Sabin vaccines, polio by and large was eradicated uh, from the United States. So we assume it's, it's just finished around the world. Why is it still in these little pockets? Unfortunately, in these areas, there are so many children that live in areas that are virtually inaccessible to modern medical care. Uh, In Afghanistan, as many as 300,000 children live in in areas that are considered inaccessible. And in Pakistan, there are more than 300,000 children who live in such areas. And in Nigeria, there is substantial resistance to any Western intervention or help. Is this uh, cultural resistance, political? This is cultural in Nigeria, and and there is some cultural element as well in Afghanistan and in Pakistan. So uh, the fact that a lot of these places you speak about where there's still pockets of polio, they have wars and conflicts. Is that uh, part of the problem? We can't get the medicines to the children because of uh, risk? That is correct, both in terms of risk and in terms of access. The local governance agencies just are not willing to allow access to their children with uh, intervention that they see as Western. So despite polio, uh, despite Rotary, I should say, best efforts to eradicate polio, uh, it would be fair to say that until these political problems and, and these warring factions calm down a bit, it's going to be tough to get the medicine to and, and knock out that final last polio victim. That's, that's correct. And, and unfortunately, even after we knock out the wild polio transmission, there will still be vaccine-derived polio virus because the vaccine that we use in these areas is live polio vaccine, and I'll explain why to you. When you say these areas, you mean overseas? Overseas. What do we use here in the United States? And the problem with the live polio virus vaccine is that the live polio virus is transmissible 
and in and can uh, morph back into a more virulent strain mm-hmm. that can cause illness that looks just like wild polio virus illness in a population that's highly immunized that's of no consequence. Like here in the United States? Correct. Okay. In a population that's not highly immunized where there are many unimmunized people and the virus can transmit from one person to another, each time a person transmits a, a a vaccine strain to the next person, that strain has an opportunity to morph again and, and perhaps become more virulent. And again, the sanitation is poor in many of these places, and so the vaccine polio is in the sewer systems. And the reason that it's there is because among populations everywhere in the world, there are people who have immune deficiency. It's not so severe that they die from infections but it's just severe enough that they can carry a polio virus in their system for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. There was a case just two or three years ago here in the United States of an older woman in her 50s who developed paralytic polio. It was from a vaccine strain that her child got 20 years before. We have not used live polio vaccine in this country since the year 2000. And yet two years ago, we saw a case of polio in this country from the vaccine strain. You know, maybe we should, we should de- define for our listening audience, because, again, polio has been eradicated by and large in the United States. What is polio and what are the effects of it? Polio is a viral, viral infection, and polio virus invades nerves. And because it invades nerves and the nervous system, meaning the brain as well, it causes paralysis by destroying nerves. And people who have had pol- who have polio acutely uh, have such paralysis sometimes that even the muscles that allow for breathing are paralyzed and they cannot breathe. That reminds me, when I was a kid uh, in in Cub Scouts, we visited a member of our Cub Scout pack who was in what they called an iron lung. It looked like, uh, the front end of it looked like an old-fashioned big uh, laundromat dryer, and his head was sticking out of where the window would have been, and it it had a bellows at the end, and it it created a vacuum to have his lungs expand. It was quite frightening for for those of us who were eight years old at the time. That's right. And uh, as I say, through the miracle of the Salk and Sabin vaccines, we have eradicated polio here in the United States, and Rotary's done a tremendous job sending out uh, teams of uh, inoculators. Uh, we started back in the 80s when there were a 1,000 new cases every day, every day, ladies and gentlemen, of polio around the world, and now we've got it down to an in- infinitesimal few. In fact, just uh, since you and I have become Rotarians, uh, Abe Nussbaum, India has pretty much become polio-free, and they had thousands upon thousands of cases. Uh, So what is the prognosis? uh, The prognosis is good. The number of cases around the world is quite limited, but it's a real number, unfortunately. Nigeria, for instance, in 2011 had about 6,000 cases. They are running at exactly the same pace this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nigeria is next to Chad. Chad has a similar problem. It's Mm -hmm. a much smaller population, but the numbers are coming down. It was over 100 cases in 2011. This year, the number of cases can be counted on two hands. Uh, so we are, we are making progress. Uh, as I said, unfortunately, the progress is 
not only has to be has to be made on two fronts. It has to be made on the wild polio virus front, where the progress is substantial and will continue. And then at some point, the World Health Organization is going to have to change the vaccine type from from the live virus to the killed injectable virus. Now they use the live virus because a single dose of live virus vaccine in a child of four or older is all you need to break an epidemic and to give that child immunity. In the injected vaccine, it will take at least two doses. That's difficult when you can't even get one in. In the United States, we stopped, and in most of the westernized world, we stopped using oral polio vaccine because there were, every year in the United States, for instance, a half a dozen cases of vaccine caused polio in babies who turned out to have immune deficiency, and this was their first exposure to a severe virus. And so we were able to switch to the injected vaccine, which now is as effective as the oral polio. Uh, and this was not the case 20 years ago, but the newer vaccine is as effective in a highly immunized population such that we have here in Israel, in Western Europe, in Japan. And, you know, we're, we're going to uh, find out more, but, you know, the Rotarians around the world, they... Um go out on these immunization quests, and it's a good thing that oral polio vaccine is available because lay people such as myself can go out and just put a couple of drops in a child's mouth and immunize them for, for life, save them from a life of, of not being able to walk or not being able to breathe. And we're going to find out more uh, about uh, polio eradication and also uh, the various other parts of uh, our friend's background here, Dr. Abe Nussbaum, in just a moment. But first, let me remind our listeners, they're in tune with Radio Rotary on the air and around the world by podcast on iTunes and at www.radiorotary.org. My name is Jonah Trebowasser. My co-host, Sarah O'Connell, is on vacation. She'll be back next week. And my very special guest today is Dr. Abraham Nussbaum, a Red Hook Rotarian. And we're coming to you from the Apple Day Diner and the meeting of the Red Hook Rotary Club. And Radio Rotary is brought to you this week by Rotary International, Rotary District 7210, and the Rotary Clubs of Congress Valley Cottage, Highland, Hyde Park, Kinderhook Tri-Village, Middletown, Millbrook, and Newburgh. And we'll be back with more of Radio Rotary after these important messages. In 1985, while polio was paralyzing 1,000 children a day, Rotary International committed to a goal a goal of ending polio worldwide. Very soon now, after contributing nearly $600 million and immunizing over 2 billion children, the goal will be achieved. Eradicating polio worldwide. That is humanity in motion. That is Rotary. For information about Rotary in the Hudson Valley, visit www.rotarydistrict7210.org. Hudson Valley Talk Radio and online at HudsonValleyTalkRadio.com. Welcome back to the second half of Radio Rotary. We're coming to you today from the Apple Day Diner in Red Hook in the heart of Hudson Valley and the meeting of the Red Hook Rotary Club. My name is Jonah Trebowasser. My co-host Sarah O'Connell is on vacation this week, but I am compensated by having a very special guest, 
my fellow Red Hook Rotarian, Dr. Abraham Nussbaum. We're talking about your children's health, your grandchildren's health. And, you know, Abe, uh, a lot of people uh, listening at home want to know a little bit about our guests. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. When, how did you become a doctor? Why did you decide to become a doctor? Why did you decide to become a pediatrician? <laughs> That's a good question, Jonah. I actually wanted to be a scientist. But I realized in college that I really didn't like to be in the laboratory, but I'd much rather be with people. So medicine is a very scientific field, or at least I thought it was. And so I thought that maybe I would, I would go into medicine. Of course, I didn't have any thought of going, becoming a pediatrician at that time. You know, when you're 18 years old, 20 years old, being a pediatrician may not be exactly what you think of. So when I went to medical school, I spent my third year in many different rotations as part of my training. And for the fourth year of medical school, I had to sit down and choose eight months of electives. So I sat down and thought about what I had done during my third year and what I really enjoyed. And whereas I started thinking that I was going to become an internist, it turned out that I only had a good time, only enjoyed myself, only felt that I was comfortable when I was on the pediatric ward. So I decided I'll take some electives in pediatrics. And uh, that's what happened. How about I just that? became a pediatrician. And he's a wonderful pediatrician, folks, because uh, he... He made sure both my kids uh, made it into adulthood, uh, despite their father wanting to, you know. <coughs> you, you folks at home who have kids, teenagers, know what I'm talking about. Uh, you're with Rhinebeck Pediatrics. You're one of the principals there. Correct. And you're board certified. Correct. You have lots of initials after your name, I know. What do are, what are all those initials mean? Well, I'm a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics. That's what the FAAP means. Uh-huh. And also, I'm a member of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry because I spend a good deal of my time doing psychiatry. Uh, and I, I also have a great interest in allergy uh, and asthma. So I, I tend to do many different things in pediatrics. And it keeps me interested and it keeps me busy and it keeps me from getting stale. Well, that's terrific. That's great. Let's, now, we were talking in the first half of the show about polio and inoculations, and you know, there's a controversy now here in the United States about whether or not children should be vaccinated. Uh, there's uh, some issues being brought to bear in the popular media uh, that certain inoculations, because of uh, the preservatives in them, may lead to autism. What's the real scoop on that, Dr. Abe Nussbaum? Well, the real scoop on it is that the claims of MMR causing autism. What, what do those initials mean? MMR is measles, mumps, and German measles. Right. That's a three-virus three vaccine that's given to children at about 15 months. Now, actually, between 12 and 15 months, the, the age has changed slightly. This vaccine has been purported to cause autism. And it's been, been purported to cause autism because of the timing, because the diagnosis of classic autism appears between 15 months and age two, typically, because in, in classic autism, the children supposedly develop normally through the first year and then begin to lose milestones and go backwards during the second year. Let, let's first define what is autism so people can recognize what we're talking about. Autism, classic autism, is defined 
quite nicely mm -hmm. as a child who has, uh, as I said, normal development during the first year or essentially normal development during the first year and then loses milestones and goes backwards during the second year and has a very limited developmental trajectory and has repetitive motions and uh, rigid, rigid ways of doing things. Now, today, there's an autistic spectrum of disorders that has been named, and there are many children who are on the autistic spectrum, which has been shortened in the lay press to the spectrum. However, that is under great discussion and is not at all accepted in the general medical community is correct. So it's, it's generally safe, just for the, the parents and grandparents out there who are listening this morning on Hudson Valley Talk Radio, it is generally safe to have your children inoculated for the measles, the mumps, and what was the other part? German measles. German measles, and also polio, right? It is. Let, let, me, let me answer that a little bit better. Right. These, that, the study that was used to claim that MMR caused autism was a false study. This was work where, where the claims were false, the data was false, the premises were false. There was not one shred of truth in that article, including the basic premise that the children looked at in the article were normal before they got their MMR. Those children were not normal children before they got their MMR. The British uh, medical the, the British government health system went back and looked at those children's medical records. Every one of them had a diagnosis before the MMR was given. So diagnosis of what? Of developmental delay. Right, okay. These were not normal children before they got the MMR. The data was simply false. Uh, let, me, let me give you a little bit of perspective on this. In the Mid, the life expectancy for, the, for people in the United States rose dramatically during the 20th century, from mid-40s to mid-70s. In the first half of the 20th century, that was a result of sanitation improvements. It was sewer systems. It was clean public water. In the second half of the 20th century, it was vaccinations. Children no longer died of polio. Polio kills children. Children no longer died of smallpox. It kills children. Children no longer died of measles. It does kill children. So these were tremendous advances. In the 21st century now, we have improvement in children's health because of hemophilus influenza vaccine and pneumococcal vaccine. Children were dying of meningitis from these causes. Children were dying of complications of ear infections with brain abscesses from these, from these infections. We don't see that anymore. And I, for one, am an example of what you can do. In, In 1982, yeah. I was a practicing pediatrician. And I was the last case of the last outbreak where we had 55 cases of measles in New York State. I was case number 55. As an adult? As an adult. Okay. I was born 
in an era before measles vaccine. And Folks, I was by born- the way, I got to tell you, because you can't see him. He is the youngest-looking uh, baby boomer I've ever seen in my entire life. We're actually the same age, and I, you know, I look like I'm, I'm ready to shuffle off to the nursing home. And he's a young guy, so don't believe everything you hear. But go ahead, Abe. <laughs> so anyway, so there I was. I was born in the era when every one of us was supposed to have been exposed to measles and gotten measles. Some of us would have gotten very sick, some a little less sick, because every illness has variations in how it affects a person. And I, saw, I, I made the diagnosis of measles in a patient, and 11 days later, I had measles. I was in bed for two weeks. I was very, very sick. I lost so much strength and muscle mass that my pants size within a month went down to a pant size I hadn't worn since I was 14 years old. <laughs> and it took two years before I regained enough energy to walk out of the office at the end of the day and not be exhausted. So this is a good reason why uh, parents and grandparents should see to it their children are properly immunized. Right. Uh, So let me just finish up about the life expectancy. Uh So the life expectancy increase during the 20th century and during the early part of the 21st century, almost all of it, especially during the the 20th century till about 1990, was increased life expectancy of babies. The increase in life expectancy was almost entirely increased life expectancy of children zero to four. It was not the number of 80 and 90-year-olds. It's only in the last 10 or 20 years the number of 80 and 90-year-olds has increased in a fashion that can be counted and, and can be held up as Modern medicine is allowing people to live longer. Prior to that, modern medicine was simply allowing more children to live to be adults. Abe, in the minute we have left, uh, you know, I know you have a message for adult Rotarians and about uh, the flu vaccines. And what about this new shingles shot? What's that all about? And we just have about one minute left. These are wonderful vaccines. Influenza vaccine comes in four different flavors, if you will. One for babies, one for children and young adults, and one for the elderly. Those are all killed vaccines that cannot make you sick, and they will protect you not only from flu, but you will not get many, many other illnesses for reasons that we don't understand. But people who get a flu shot don't get as many colds that winter. We don't know if it's because they don't get as many colds or because many of the colds that we see in the winter are actually milder cases of influenza. There's a live virus version of the influenza vaccine, which is intranasal. You do not get a shot, but somebody shoves some, some fluid up your nose if you prefer that. Uh, but that is a live virus. 50% of the people who get that virus will feel a mild case of flu afterwards. Uh, but that vaccine perhaps works even better. And the shingles shot? The shingles vaccine is a, is a, a fantastic new asset because... Once you have chickenpox, which all adults and all children under the age of 10 or 15, can't remember when we started giving the vaccine, carry the virus for the rest of your life. And because you carry the virus for the rest of your life, and it hides in nerves, it's another nerve disease, when it reactivates, and we don't know why it reactivates, but it can reactivate in children, it can reactivate in young adults, but as you get older, it reactivates more easily, 
We think that's because immune function wanes naturally with age. The shingles vaccine will reduce that dramatically, will improve your recovery time, and will reduce the long-term pain that people get. Dr. Abe Nussbaum, thank you so much for that great advice, and thank you for joining us on Radio Rotary. And our thanks also go to Rotary International, Rotary District 7210, and the Rotary Clubs of New City, New Windsor Cornwell, North Rockland, Pleasant Valley, our host today, the Red Hook Rotary Club, and the Rotary Club of Rhinebeck. Our thanks to the wonderful people here at the Apple Day Diner for hosting us. Thank you for listening. Join us again at this same time next week for another edition of Radio Rotary. Rotary.